Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Excited to get to be here with you. A little Imago Day series. If you're uh, new to Heights, we're in this series called the Imago Day. I unpacked what that meant uh, two weeks ago. Then last week we addressed men specifically. Uh, this week I get the great honor and privilege of addressing women uh, specifically. No pressure there, you know. And uh, my wife was in the front row last gathering, and so I was like, oh gosh. Um, and then next week <clears throat> I get to. We're going to address singles. What about the singles? Uh, in the church, I felt pretty confident about coming in, and then uh, the majority of people I talked to this week uh, treated me as if I was preaching my own funeral, and so that made it a little bit more difficult. I had men come up and like literally put their hand on my shoulder, and they're like, you got this? And I was like, yeah, I feel good. Yeah, yeah. They're like, no, like, do you got this? And I was like, I don't, maybe not. I don't know. And then they're like, did you run this by your wife? And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, what'd she say? I'm like, well, I mean, like, I thought about running by her. I didn't run it by her yet. Like, bro, you got to. And then I had a lady who was like, hey, Andrew, he ran this by you, right? And she's like, yeah, I mean, we talked about it. She's like, hmm, okay. And so I felt great, and now I feel really insecure. So thank you for that. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I don't feel insecure at all. I feel super uh, motivated. It, it is not going to be an easy sermon by any stretch uh, of the imagination, but it is going to be a uh, necessary sermon for us. And so the Imago Dei, to catch you up, simply means in the image of God, and that is that women and men have been created equally in the image of God. That's equal dignity, equal purpose, uh, equal value, uh, equal gifting, although not the same gifts I talked about uh, two weeks ago. I also argue then that the Imago Dei is kind of the root sin that leads to a lot of the social tension that we have in our culture right now. And so if you look at racism or abortion or the uh, re-identification of sex and gender, that ultimately comes from an Imago Dei issue first. It's looking at someone and trying to make them in your image instead of submitting to the image that you've been made in, which is God's image. And so what the culture does in that, what it kind of reveals to us is that the culture wants the, king that God, the kingdom that God has promised apart from the king. The, the culture wants the inclusivity of the kingdom that God promises, but they want that inclusive kingdom at the exclusion of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so anytime you try to redefine or recreate God's kingdom, it only leads to death. That's what we read in Genesis 3. And so the big idea for you today, for those that are tuning in online, is you cannot have the kingdom without the king. Same big idea we've been running all month, all series, I mean. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. And so I have the great privilege today to speak specifically to women. And I want to tell you, I do feel pretty good about it. I feel motivated. I feel encouraged. I don't really feel the least bit intimidated, intimidated by it. We have incredible women that I get to do life with in my missional community and on staff that I've been talking with about this specific series uh, for months. I mean, good, godly, strong, fierce women that I get to share life with, which is incredible. I also get to see a lot of women that are ridden in sin, uh, women who will come in here and raise their hands in worship and then go home and raise their hands in a negative way against their husband and kids. 
They will come in here and sing out vocals unto the Lord, giving honor and glory with their mouth, and then go home the same day and use those same vocal cords to win an argument. I see women in here that are struggling. I mean, they're just out on their own, grinding, trying to get after it, have men in their life that should bear weight, have men that should be husbands for them, should be uh, fathers in the family for them, and they're not bearing any weight whatsoever, thus putting that weight, distributing it upon the shoulders of the woman in their life. And this woman is struggling under the weight of expectations that she was never meant nor designed in accordance with the Imago Dei to bear. And so there's nothing in me that is intimidated or nervous about this today. And so because we believe in equality at Heights Community, I'm going to equally preach the sermon to you ladies as I would anyone else. I'm going to equally back you into a corner so deep that only the Shekinah glory of Jesus will walk you out of it. And then I'll equally point you to the gospel. Sound good? I'm going to need a little bit more from you. All right? That's not encouraging. All right? That's not encouraging. At least online. Like, do like a thumbs up or something, you know, that would be more than what I just got. So you have one big idea and you have three points, okay? Big idea, you cannot have the kingdom apart from the king. The three points are going to be devoted to God, devoted to family, and devoted to mission. Uh, let me remind you, this is not an exhaustive sermon, okay? There's a plethora of books on this. I've got about 43 minutes and I'm going to preach about 55 of them, okay? And so we're going to be together for a season here. Sound good? Yep. Yeah. All right, there you are. All right, let me set it up for you. <clears throat> it goes like this. Uh, we kicked off the series looking at Genesis 1.27. And Genesis 1.27 said, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, from that first sermon, I said I would unpack this a little bit more, and this is the moment that I'm going to do that. And so in Genesis 1.27, the way that this is written in the Hebrew uh, denotes that there is no imago Dei apart from women. The, the only way we can properly walk out the Imago Dei as creation is with both women and also with men, that God has designed humanity. He's designed his kingdom in that way. And so because now of the effects of Genesis 3 and the fall of Adam and Eve or the rebellion of Adam and Eve, then the way that we view women has been skewed. It's been marred. The Imago Dei, from our perspective, has been tainted. The way by which we engage and see and expect things from them has been affected. But the reality is God has created you woman. God has created you female. And in this house, among these elders, those two words are synonymous with one another. Female is both woman and female. God has created you then in light of Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 1 in general, women as a helper or as a helpmate, as an ezer. Now, don't ever Google Proverbs 31 and what men have to say about this. Because you will only marginally find things that are offensive for you and unbiblical. And so Ezra does not mean anything domineering. It does not mean that you submit, you toe the line, that you just listen to men and let them tread and walk all over you. The word Ezra literally means helper. It means a helpmate. 21 times in the Old Testament, the word Ezra is used. Two times mentioned for women. 19 times mentioned to explain who God is and what God is doing as our Ezer, as our helper. So then the word cannot mean inferior, right? You tracking with that? It cannot mean inferior. I need you to talk to me a little bit. We're going to be here all day, okay? The word cannot mean weak. The, weak. the word cannot mean anything less than what it actually means, which is a helper. And so just, you just think about it logically for just a second. 
as there is a helper, God saw fit to give man a helper. What does that mean? That means that she must have value. She must have purpose. She must have dignity. Like we needed her. You understand what's, what's happening here in the text, right? If you're the, you think you're the only woman in the room whose man needs a little bit of help, right? Cats out the bag. Turns out we were made that way, okay? We need a little bit of help. Amen, men. Thank you, boys. Come on. Just as God is an ezer, and helper to those who are in need, so also the woman has been made an ezer, a helper, a helpmate. I mean, think about Genesis, right? He says, it's, uh, God said this, and it's good, and God made this, and it's good, and God spoke this, and it's good. And then all of a sudden, you get down in Genesis 1 a little bit further, and he says, this is not good. It's not good for man to be what? Not good for man to be alone. And so this helper does not mean you must be even married to properly walk out the Imago Day. Heaven forbid, ladies, it does not mean you need to jump into some random dating relationship to properly walk out the Imago Day. It just simply means you were designed as a helper, as a helpmate, as an Ezra. A woman then, specifically, is key to humanity properly walking out the Imago Day as a whole. It means then that a woman specifically is the key to understanding, is a key, not the key, is a key to properly understanding the glory of God and its wholeness. Not solely because she has made a woman, but because she's been made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And so what I want to do is I want to push out Proverbs 31 a little bit further. And before I do that, let me give a word of warning to the women in the room. As we get into Proverbs 31, I need you to hear me say this. Proverbs 31 is a picture of a perfectly wise woman, okay? So just like last week when we looked at the qualifications for a biblical elder, there is not a man in the room that can walk out those qualifications perfectly except for Jesus. And so also, ladies, as we get into Proverbs 31, we're looking at a perfect picture of a wise woman. There is not a woman in this room that can perfectly walk out Proverbs 31, in completion. So let me just set you free from that right now. Here's what's happened if we don't do this. If you're a note taker, this is your moment. If you're online, this is your moment. As you get into Proverbs 31, what's going to happen is the same slithering snake that's there in the garden with Adam and Eve is going to come up in this room. And he's going to start whispering some things to you, and it's going to lead you to what we call the sin of comparison. This is the number one thing you women share together as a sin. The sin of comparison. Write this down. Comparison leads to insecurity. And insecurity leads to pride. And pride will lead you to fantasizing. And fantasizing will lead you to say, I deserve more. And now you're right there in the garden with Mother Eve. You tracking? One more time for the note taker. Comparison leads to insecurity. Insecurity leads to pride. Pride leads to fantasizing, and fantasizing becomes, I deserve more, and now we're back in the garden. It is no different. There is only one who can measure up, and his name is Jesus. And he has placed his perfection on you for those who profess faith in him. He's given you his righteousness, right? This is not a comparison game. Are we together, women? I just said that like I was one of you. Sorry. (laughs) Am I being clear, ladies? Thank you. Now, for you men... Hear me say this. I'm going to get you in a minute, but here in a moment, for this moment. For you men, your tendency as you hear this will be to put legalistic pressure on your wives that they were not built nor designed to bear. And here's the deal. I don't need any help with my sermon, okay? I don't need you nudging them. I don't need you looking at them sideways. You're not the Holy Spirit, 
okay? Turns out I'm not either, but I spent a lot of time with him this week, okay? And he's got some things he wants to say apart from you. Sound good? If you want to play the comparison game, men, just listen to the sermon from last week and look at Jesus and then let me know how you're doing, okay? I don't need you nudging her. All right, Proverbs 31 is a, Proverbs is a book, is a book of wisdom. The book of Proverbs here speaks of wisdom actually in two ways, speaks of, um, sorry, speaks of women in two ways, as wisdom and then as folly. And so I'm not going to read it, but Proverbs 9 uses a woman that is wise to invite in this simple man to come and eat and dine with her at her table. And Proverbs 31 then is the text I'm trying to get us to is what happens when that simple man walks into the house and sits down at the table. It's the wisdom that he can expect to see from this woman. This is a perfect wisdom. You cannot walk out, but it will reveal some things. The first point we see is devotion to God. She is devoted to God. Proverbs 31 begins like this. An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. And then I don't know if they can jump to it or not, but Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, church, is to be praised. Amen. Proverbs 31 uh, as a whole is an acrostic poem in the Hebrew. That means that each line in Proverbs 31 begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. For us, it would be A, B, C, D, E. For the Hebrews, it's a little bit different. But each line, they do that to symbolize the perfect wisdom that would be played out in that line within the poem. And just like any Hebrew poetry, the first line and the last line are going to be the most important things that we can read about. And what they say in the beginning and the end of Proverbs 31 on this portion is a woman who praises God is, in fact, Precious. She is worth praising, is what it says. Now, to be clear, this is written in regards, in regards to a wife, but wisdom is obviously not limited to a wife. And so you do not have to be a wife to walk out the Imago Day. You don't have to be a wife to model wisdom. So therefore, we can contextually conclude that this is then also just for women. It's good and right and necessary. So we can say a woman who praises God is precious. A woman who praises God is worth a little bit of praise. And a woman who praises God is also hard to find the text says. You are called to be devoted to the one who who has given you an image to bear. That is God the Father, right? What what does it look like then, Pastor? You could say, what what does it look like then to devote yourself to this God? According to the Proverbs, it looks like being devoted to this wisdom. It looks like being devoted to learning and growing in the Word of God, to grow in your study of the Scriptures, man, to grow in theology, to be smart, like to be so Smart to read your Bible, to study your Bible, to journal, to spend time with Jesus, to find your wisdom from here. It looks like growing in wisdom from the scriptures, from the one who has given you an image to bear. It does not like, look like growing in wisdom from Instagram. It doesn't look like growing in wisdom from Facebook or from TikTok. It, it doesn't look like growing in, I mentioned earlier, what was it, whatever you heathens are into, Bridgerton. It doesn't look like growing in your, your wisdom from Bridgerton, right? This, scenario that actually leads you to fantasize about some things you should most certainly not be fantasizing about. It leads you to be devoted to God first and foremost. He says, this is what is precious about a woman, and also this is what is hard to find. Devotion to God first, ladies. Listen here, eye contact. Not devotion to your kids first. Not devotion to a significant other, may it be spouse or boyfriend or fiance first, Uh, not devotion to your next home project first, 
Not devotion to your appearance first, but devotion to God because God has first and foremost devoted himself unto you. It is a response to the gospel. Those things do not save you. The gospel frees you to respond in Christ in those moments. I read a quote this week. It says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. John Piper, JP, helps us out here. Look here. Your lack of wisdom is not due to a lack of time. Your lack of wisdom is due to a lack of prioritization. Because you and I both know, if you put it in the calendar, it happens. So it's not due to a lack of time. You have the time to be devoted unto the Lord. And I would ask you, who do you want to confirm for you, or who do you want to define for you what it means to be a woman? Do you want the word of God, who who speaks of what it means to be in the image of, of God in heaven, to be a daughter to the king, to be seen as perfect, even though you're most certainly not perfect, to seen, be seen as holy, as though you're most, most certainly not holy all the time? Do you want it to be like that sort of word that speaks over you and defines and redefines and reforms and reforms in you what it means to be a woman? Or do you want the culture to do that? Because that's the two options that are at hand here. And check, here I'm going to say some things you're going to giggle maybe. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just going to be real, okay? The culture can't even define what it means to be a woman right now. I mean, there's all documentaries, all these things going around about it. Is that who you want to define for you what it means to be a woman? The Oxford Dictionary just changed their definition for female. It says, a female is anyone who is born a female, but also may not identify as a female from birth. A a woman's anyone who's born a female, but may not identify as a female from birth. That ain't a definition. Like, what if I did that with my 10-year-old? Like, hey, Dad, what's an aardvark? I'm like, well, an aardvark, babe, is anything that's born an aardvark, but it may not identify as an aardvark. So I don't know. <laughs> You'd be like, don't tell her that. Go look up what an aardvark is, right? Like, that's, that is it. Like, it doesn't work. And so we're going to camp here for a, a second. Gender and sex in our culture has become a social construct. And what that means is that it can mean anything I want it to mean, which makes a cultural war really, really ironic, doesn't it? Because, let me camp out here with you for a minute. Can you handle it for just a minute? This makes a cultural war really ironic because if I get to choose what something means, and you get to choose what something means, and we both agree that that thing is right, how can I ever get mad at you for thinking differently than me? That doesn't make any sense. That's completely illogical. It's a self-defeating argument, right? And so let me push out a little bit further since it's, you know, 1045, y'all need some more coffee, right? It, It is completely illogical to think in my worldview, if what you say is true, and, then, and I have to take what you're saying is true as truth, and then you're supposed to take what I say is true as truth, like how could we ever fight with each other? That doesn't make any sense. And yet that is the cultural war that is at hand right now. Like there's all these different flags and banners and everything being raised and people soapboxing all over social media and blogs and vlogs and everywhere else. But at the end of the day, it's an illogical argument. It's a self-defeating argument, which is good for the church. You know why? Because if I get mad at you and you get mad at me for having opposing truths, even though we both say those truths should be true, that reveals then that there is a desire for absolute truth. 
Otherwise, I would never be offended by your truth, unless I, of course, think mine is true. You still tracking this early? Does that make sense? You should be like, oh, Megan. It kind of doesn't, and yet it does make all the sense, doesn't it? Right? The only reason I can get mad is if I want there to be an absolution, an absolute truth, and we have that truth. Welcome to Heights Community Junior College Philosophy 101, okay? <laughs> Who do you want to define for you? Do you want that as your definition? Tell me you're not already feeling all the pressure as it is as a woman. You want that level of confusion for you and for your little girls? Absolutely not. Our culture has not exalted women, women. It has robbed you of your God-given identity and your dignity and your value and your purpose and your power. It has sought to rob you, I should say. There is no, fortunately for us, value and instability and chaos, and the argument will, in fact, fail over time. If you want to grow in wisdom, gosh, you pour yourself into the Word of God. Like, you pour yourself into the Proverbs. There's literally 31 Proverbs. Just read one a day. Start there. And, and let that just wash over you and remind you of who you are and how you've been called to walk out life. And what will happen, what's beautiful is that as you open up the Word of God, man, it'll begin to open you up. And it'll expose in you areas where you need Jesus, areas where you need to grow in godliness. And as the Word of God like washes over you, it just reminds you of your righteous position in the kingdom as a woman. That's what's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for you. And so first is that... Devoted to God. Secondly, then, is devotion to family. Let's have another moment of eye contact here. Devotion to God will always lead you to be devoted to your family. But being devoted to your family first will not lead you to be further devoted to God. That is called idolatry. What will happen if you're devoted to family first and you put family over where God is, is you will put a weight and a pressure on the men and the kids in your family that they were never designed to bear. A weight and pressure that only Jesus can bear in their place as their substitute. And so devotion to God will always lead to devotion to family, but it will not go the other way. Now, again, this is not exhaustive, and I imagine the immediate question may be, well, what if I don't have family? Uh, what if I don't have a spouse? What if I don't have kids? I think that is a good, fair, and right question for the church to ask. And so I would answer it uh, in this way. Proverbs 31 was written within its cultural context with the family unit in mind. And so when you read the Old Testament, there's a clear emphasis on God giving children to women to secure Israel. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be able to have a proper labor to, be, uh, to walk out the Imago Dei as a woman. There are plenty of women, if we were to read through the book of Genesis, they were barren. And they were faithful and powerful, and they aided in changing a whole nation. Okay? So Good, godly women there. But what we do see is kind of the mantra of the Old Testament is that God gives children to secure Israel's purpose and to continue pushing on the covenant promises of God to the next generation and the next generation. So then when we get to the New Testament, hear me clearly, this does not downplay the importance of being fruitful and multiplying and rearing children. But in the New Testament, the emphasis is not on children sustaining Israel. It's on disciples sustaining Israel. And so when we get to the New Testament, the emphasis is given to us is discipleship. And so I share that to say this. If you're in the room and you are single and you don't have family, you don't have spouse, this is true whether you're single or not, I would say that God has given you the church and there's a direct correlation in the way that you love and lead in the church to how you will love and lead in the family. 
the way that you love and lead, not just on Sunday. That's simple. That's easy. Anybody can sign up for an hour on a Sunday. I'm talking about the church body as a whole. You tracking with that? Like being in community, being in missional community. There's a direct correlation with the way you serve the church and the way that you will serve within a family. That is the people of God. If you are giving here, if you're sacrificial here, if you serve here, you will do those things in the family. If we look at you in the family and say, man, she's so hospitable. She's so giving. She's so sacrificial. There's a clear correlation that will show, that will show that's also how she is with the church family. Now, some can say, well, what about those who put on a face? I would say this, sin always outs you, right? And so if you serve here from a legalistic heart, or you serve here from a religious heart, or vice versa, you serve your family with a legalistic or religious heart, the reality is you'll serve because you want to be served. You'll give because you want to be given to, and that will eventually out you. Sin always has a way of revealing itself to you. Everything that she does, okay, in this text, specifically we're in Proverbs 31, she does not to exalt herself, but under devotion to God to exalt her family. Still with me? Okay. Proverbs 31, 11 through 28. If you could just leave it up on the screen, we're going to walk straight through these. <laughs> that was just one verse, by the way. We've got like 20 more to go. So, Lord, help me. Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Uh, this wise woman loves her husband first. She loves him. And she does so in a way that brings life and not death. I would say that that starts with the right order of importance for you women. It goes Jesus and then your husband and then your kids and then the church and then everything else. Devotion to God should trickle down through those. This is important to understand because there's some Proverbs that speak to some contentious wives, ladies. Proverbs 21.9 says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It's like God looked at this situation and was like, bro, just grab the Coleman and go up top. You know, like, like it's raining. He's like, it'd be better. Just go get wet. It would be better up there than in the living room right now. Right? Proverbs 21 says, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful Woman, I literally just left the desert this week. You know what everything in the desert is trying to do? It's trying to kill you. That's everything it's doing. And the father looks and says, bro, just start walking. Good luck on water. It would be better to be there. All jokes aside, the book of Genesis says, it is not okay for a man to be alone. And yet we have these proverbs. So what does that mean? That means that there is a way that you can use your words. There's a way that you can use your body language. There's a way that you can use your tone. They can create an environment in your household that is worse than death. It means that your words are powerful because you're powerful. The reality is you can come up to me after this sermon. Man, you can, be, you can berate me. Tell me how bad of a job I did. You can send me an email with a bunch of exclamation points and whatever. Emote all sorts of stuff on there, you know. Talk about me behind my back. Tell all the elders how bad I did. And I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm going to sleep like a baby. Like, I'm not going to think about it at all. You know? I'm not. And that's not because I'm, like, super strong. It's just because I'm, my identity is in Christ. I'm going to sleep like a baby. Two weeks ago, Andrea said to me, is this really where you want to lead people? 
And I was up until 2 a.m. questioning my whole humanity. She hit me with a sentence, like, is this really where you want to lead people? And I'm like, I shouldn't be a pastor. I'm a terrible husband. I'm out. You know, like, I was like, we got to go. This is, I don't deserve anything. I deserve death. You know, I was like, till 2 a.m., just spiraling in the bed, like, replaying literally like 10 years of my life in this church. It's like, yeah, I guess I, guess I did. I guess I am a bad leader. I guess I am. I'm a bad pastor. I don't know the Bible. I'm the worst. You know, it's like, am I right, men, or no? They know the right word, the right tone, the right inflection in their voice, right? And it just shatters you, doesn't it? Your words are powerful. The way you speak to your men is powerful. The way you speak to your husband is powerful. Be mindful of your power. Verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises, verse 15, stay here. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. I love this. This is a measure of your ability to be able to serve others over expecting people to serve you. This is the same mantra of King Jesus when he says, I came not to be served, but to what? But to serve. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is not less than cleaning your home, but I want to tell you something. It's a whole lot more than cleaning your home. This is a measure of hospitality. It's a measure of relationships, and she does so in a way that exalts her family to kind of be the center there. Uh, I was on campus meeting with some students uh, a while back, and I was, uh, I, was, uh, well, I was eavesdropping on these two women. They were talking, and they're talking about women who overclean, and I'm like, I wasn't just, I was like basically sitting at their table, just like, well, we, well, well, how do you know? What are you talking about? Let's, what are we, what, what's her name, you know? And, and so who, where she live at, you know? And so they're talking. I'm like all up in it. I'm all up in their conversation, noticeably. And uh, anyway, so they're talking. It's just a woman talking about how people overclean. And this woman goes, well, how do you know if they're being fake or if that's just really how they live their life? And I'll never forget this. This woman said, I look in her shower. I thought, oh, gosh. But here's the deal. If you show up, on your Wednesday missional community, right? And you're in there like, <laughs> you women need Jesus. You understand? Like, you need the Lord. That is what, I'm going to put you under church discipline just for being gross. You know, I don't know if that's a thing, but I think we can work it out. Listen here. What you'll hear in here is that your house needs to be put together and things need to be tidy and everything needs to be perfect. This is not what she's calling you to. It's calling you to hospitality. Listen, not comparison. Not comparison. Hospitality. Remember what I told you right now. Comparison becomes insecurity. Insecurity becomes pride. Pride becomes fantasizing. And fantasizing becomes, I deserve more. And now we're back with Mother Eve. And so the woman, this woman here, is hospitable, man. She's simply like, for the sake of being hospitable, she sees all that God has given her, and in turn, then she gives that back to those. And it's not to exalt herself. It's not to exalt her new shiplap. It's not to exalt anything that has to do with her house. It is done because her devotion is unto the Lord, and she wants people to look at her family and say, that's a family that I can roll with. That's a family that I can be around. They're inviting. They're accepting. They are prepared. She is prepared for me. She serves in a way that honors the Lord and her family. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it with the fruit 
fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's entrepreneurial. She presses or dresses, sorry, she dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. It's more than CrossFit. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She is put together, organized. She puts her hands to the staff. It's kind of like a rake. And her hands hold the spindle. She works hard. That's what it's saying. This woman works hard, both in the home as well as out of the home. It's not a call to one or the other, as some will preach. It's not a call to say, and that's why you should work in the house. And that's why you should be a stay-at-home mom. Everybody knows stay-at-home moms got it the worst, okay? That's a hard job. It's also not a call to feel bad because you put your kids in daycare because you work a nine-to-five. It's neither one of those. It is simply the reality that she is organized and stable within her family. So she perceives her merchandise is profitable. Profitable. I would say this is not an excuse to binge a little on retail therapy only to not find satisfaction in what you just bought, only to two months later go sell all that nonsense for pennies on the dollar on Facebook Marketplace. Hit too close to home for you ladies? This is also not an excuse to mismanage your resources for another house project. That's not what it says. It's not an opportunity to go into greater debt. This is about stewardship. This is about stewardship that ex- it is executed in a way that exalts her family, that gives dependence to her family, that gives security to her family, not herself. And it's stewardship that comes from wisdom, stewardship that comes from seeing how giving God has been to her. There's no way, like, it doesn't put you in a box. This woman is entrepreneurial. She's gifted. She's stewarded everything she has, and she does it for the family. Now, I would say, what do you say to those that say, I don't have a family yet? Well, there's a lot of things to say, but I would say again, the church is a place to start practicing. It's an opportunity for you to come forward and to use your gifts, man, to use your resources, to use your talent, to make disciples, to use the wisdom that you've learned in a way that is transferable. Oh my gosh, could you imagine what the church would look like if women could let go of the sin of comparison and find their identity so steeped in Christ they could not help but be hospitable, couldn't help but be a Can you imagine what we could do, right? Like we just raised a bunch of money for the Restore Network, just imagine what else we could do. Gosh, it'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, that's change. For all her household are clothed in scarlet, just a heavier, thicker material for that season. She makes bed coverings, literally changing out the bed garments for the new season. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 21 and 22 is that she can adapt to change. Right? The, the application here, again, don't Google this. The application here is not women are responsible for the laundry. I wish a dude would come up in here and say that's nonsense. Right? I'm a... I'll let you all put them in a basket. You know what I'm saying? The application here is this. She can adapt. She can change with the seasons. And with that in mind, we need to camp. There's a cultural narrative here that says you need to have your kids involved in literally everything underneath the sun. You feel that pressure? You've got to perform. You've got to have them perform. You have to have them in another sport, another activity. You should be busy, 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 busy. Listen, that comes from the sin of comparison. Doesn't come from Jesus. I mean, how many more evenings, literally, let's just talk about it. How many more evenings do you think you can go feeling this anxious and tired and overwhelmed before you explode? Right? How many more evenings can you go where you're driving the minivan back to the field and you're just kind of chucking nuggets, just kind of hoping to hit one of them back there because you're so pressed for time, right? They're just back there diving for stuff, right? Just warming you guys up for the soccer game, you know? 
Seriously, though, I mean, don't you feel the weight of that? I mean, as a man, I know I feel the weight of that. I know as a woman, you must feel the weight. Aren't you tired and anxious, a little overwhelmed? It doesn't serve your family to keep them overloaded with activities. It also doesn't serve your psyche well. It doesn't serve your family well to be socialized in a culture that has no absolutes. They spend 40 plus hours for the most part in a in a school that isn't allowed to kind of socialize them in any certain way, although much of that has entered into the school district, yes? And so you have 40 hours, you have someone else raising your kiddo in that moment, and then you have to take them to a field or a diamond or a gymnastics or tumbling gym, and then you have someone else who's speaking into their life, and and now all that you've become is kind of a glorified chauffeur that can barely chuck nuggets. And you wonder kind of what's happening in the household. And I would say that that comes from the sin of comparison. There's nothing in the scriptures that say you should be so undeniably busy that everyone looks at you and goes, wow, look how busy she has to be. It's nowhere in there. Like they don't need you to sign them up for soccer again. They need you to sit at the table with them and pour wisdom over them. Like take them into wisdom literature and say, here's what it looks like to be in Christ. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. Here's what it looks like to grow up as a young man and a young woman, and then you develop them, you disciple them, and then you send them out. That's what it looks like to maintain dominion and cultivate the land and be fruitful and multiply. If you don't have kids in the household, then do it with someone else's kids. Invite them in and mom them, grandmom them, aunt them, right? Raise them up and then send them out, right? It is Andrea's job in our family to take a look at the calendar and say, hey, I think we're doing too much. We're starting to look a lot more like the world than we look like Jesus right now. And it's my responsibility to say, hey, we're falling prey to comparison right now. We're falling prey to the sin right now. We need to watch the calendar. I don't think that we need to do that. No, Josiah cannot do baseball and jujitsu at the same time. He gets one activity. And I love this. I've had this chamber church for years because I used to say the same thing. And y'all used to come to me and say, well, Corey, you know, you just have little kids. Well, now I got big kids, church. (laughs) I got kids in my house that aren't even my kids. I'm responsible for those meetings as well. Still saying the same thing, right? I get it. We have gymnastics. We have baseball. We have jujitsu. I get it. And at the same time, the priority has to be raising them in a way that leads them to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, I also understand that there's a lot of women in the room and you're just doing your absolute best. I mean, it breaks my heart because you are out on the grind, man. And you are driving and you're running the calendar and you're doing all the things, you're trying to feed and you're genuinely trying to do the things I'll make you laugh at a minute ago. And you're doing those things with men in your life that are supposed to be good fathers and good husbands. And I didn't get to preach last week, and I'm not going to re-preach David's sermon by any stretch of the imagination. But if I would have got to preach last week, uh, here's what I would have said. To be clear, some of those men are exactly as you see them. They're baggage for you. They're baggage. They're dead weight. Some of them professing Christ, which is a shame. Some of them openly not professing Christ, and they're both just not bearing weight for you. Like, I cannot imagine for the life of me 
to have a wife who would say, I just want to read. I just would like to pray. I would like to be led. And for me to go, nah, I'd rather watch the Chiefs. Let's just drop some nachos all over my shirt. That, I think that would be more attractive to you in this moment than me doing the very thing you've asked me to do for you. And so I don't want to come off too crass or too hard, but I want to come with you. I'm going to come alongside you and just say, you're right. They are dead weight. And for you men, I want to be completely transparent here with you. Look, it ain't, it's not, it ain't Disneyland in the Johnson family. Okay, being married to the pastor doesn't make it, it ain't, it's not Hollywood. I'll tell you that. We fight. We argue. We don't get along. We're very normal. We yell at each other. Okay, all the things you do, we do. We do those things. And yet there's a real reality. I'm going to share this not because I'm the hero. I'm going to share this because I cleared it with my wife. <laughs> I did. So I was like, so here's how I feel. Can I say that? And she said, absolutely. She 100% said, the most attractive thing about you is that you are the same on stage as you are at home. And I said, well, good. I'm going to go ahead and say this then. <laughs> Look, when she walks in the room, this is genuine. When she walks in the room, I don't care if there's three or 300 people in here, she's going to know for a moment that she's the only other person in the room with me. And, and it's not because like, I'm the hero. No, like, Jesus is the hero. The gospel has a lot to do with that. Here's another side of that. There's a real warning that leads me to, want to have only my eyes fixed on her, and it's this, if I can be frank with you. It's that I can't imagine, I can barely even say it out loud, the thought of her nuzzling up to find security in another man's chest is what drives a lot of that. Like the idea of someone else getting a whiff of her hair is almost enough. Fortunately, I have the gospel to help push me the rest of the way. And the reality is, man, if you don't bear weight in your relationship with your wife, that's what's on the table for you. Because there's a very real Satan, a very real evil. And what he wants to do is he wants to walk in your house while you're watching the Chiefs tonight. He wants to walk upstairs, grab your wife by the hand, woo her out of bed, and take her out the front door. And that's what's going to happen. He wants to steal and kill and destroy everything you're called to fight for. And so you can either get it together and start responding to the gospel, or you can watch her walk out the front door. I didn't get to preach last week, but if I did, that's what I would have said. Amen. Thank you. And I share that because of this, verse 23. You make it impossible for her to walk out, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Like what, this is a call to the reality that, like she, like this is what she wants. She wants to speak highly of you. Like she wants to speak so highly of you that your reputation in the whole community is exalted among those who lead in the community. Let's not make it more difficult for them, right? And so would you, do you live a life in a way where your wife, like verse 23, she's like, yep, I'm all in on that. Like you should meet him. He's a total freaking mess. He does have nachos all over his shirt. He is watching the Chiefs, but by God, he loves me the best I, as he can all the way to Christ. And it is messy and it's clumsy. It's a little dysfunctional, but he's on his way. Like he's working with me. He can't pronounce propitiation, but he's on the way. <laughs> He, he prays, it sounds crazy, like it's, I don't even know. But he's trying his best. This is what the call is here in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. This is what she wants for you. Women, this is not what you want to be able to do for your men. 
If you're not married, is this not what you want to be able to do for the man that is may or may not be coming in the future? Like, this is what I want for me. It's what I want for you. For the sake of time, 24 through 28, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Oh, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat of the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Listen here, this is a woman here. Again, this is a picture of perfection, keep in mind. But this is a woman who is confident in her own skin. This is a woman who's okay with being in the center of the room. Not necessarily the center of attention in a negative way, but okay with being in the center of the room. Okay with all eyes being on her. She's there. She's laughing. She's having fun. She's a good steward. She's being hospitable. She's dressed in dignity. Why? Because the Father has clothed her in dignity. She's dressed in wisdom. She speaks wisdom. Why? Because she speaks of what the Father would have her speak of in light of knowledge and wisdom. Like she's confident and she's cool. She's here there. Like she's enjoying life. Why? Because she's just basking in life as a daughter to the king. Right? This is not like she's out to kind of, you know, be the center of attention and dressed all in a way that draws attention to her and not to God and not to the family. Like we're not going to start buying sweatshirts and say modest is hottest on them. We're not going to do that. It's just there's a reality where she's here and she's clothed and she's dressed and she's wearing these things because of who God is because of who he's called her to be, because she bears the image of God, because her dignity and her strength and her value and her purpose and her gifting derives from the very glory of God himself. Like that's a woman to be admired and looked at, yes? It's also not a woman who can clearly walk this out apart from Christ. And so last is devoted to the mission. The mission then, according to Genesis and according to Imago Dei, as I said in week one, is to maintain dominion, to cultivate the land, and to be fruitful and multiply. Now, Genesis 3 has skewed much of that, as I mentioned in week one. But this is how you live on mission, women. The way by which you live on mission, the way that you walk out, maintaining dominion and subduing the land and being fruitful and multiplying is through devotion first to God and secondly, devotion to the family. And then everything else. If it's not the family, then it's disciples in the church, devotion to these things until he brings you home in death or until he comes to collect you. This is, who you, this is how you're called to live on mission. And so if I can close this out, I would close it out like this. To choose Proverbs 31 is to choose to live on mission. To choose Proverbs 31 is to choose wisdom from God instead of wisdom in the culture. To choose Proverbs 31 then is to choose Jesus because he's chosen you. Because he's done everything necessary to give you everything you could ever crave for in this world that it'll never supply. Like he's the only one that can perfectly walk out Proverbs 31. And he did it in his life. And he's the only one that didn't deserve to go to the cross. But he takes all of his perfection for you, ladies and gentlemen. For you both, but for you women specifically. Takes all of that to the cross and he sacrificed in your place as your substitute. Why? So he can give you the Holy Spirit. Like the very perfect power that exists in Christ is given to you. Boom! Takes up residence in you. And that is how it is whenever the Father can look at you as a daughter and go, you're not having your best day. Oh, but I see you in Christ. I know you just argued. I know you're freaked out on him. I know you yelled at the kids, and I only see Christ. That is the beauty of having the Holy Spirit in us. 
That is what he gives. He doesn't promise that you will be perfect. He promises that in Christ, you will be seen as perfect, regardless of how you respond to the gospel. You cannot be the perfect wife. There is nothing to be won. There is nothing to be rewarded other than Christ's work in your place. That is the gospel for you. Why don't you stand with me? Let me close you out with this last story here and further prepare our minds for communion. Uh, if you like to give during this time, there's boxes to the left and right of the stage you can give as well. Uh, this week, I did get to spend the week uh, in the desert for uh, Acts 29 church planting cohort uh, that I'm a part of. And so we spent a, a day, just not the whole day, but we spent some time in prayer and I was reminded of a Charles Spurgeon quote this week. And to sum up the quote, it goes like this. I've learned to kiss the waves that bash me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the waves that bash me against the rock of ages. And what Spurgeon is saying in that moment, if you know anything about Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, ridden with anxiety and depression, gout all over his body, excruciating suffering the last 15 plus years of his life. He died at like 50 years old. Best preachers to literally ever walk the face of the planet next to Jesus. And so for him to say, I've learned to kiss the waves that bash me against the rock of ages, what he was saying in that moment is that as suffering comes, as the effects of Genesis 3 come, as they crash against me, he's learned to find comfort in them because they only push him up further and further upon the rock. They only push him up further and further into dependency on who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for him. He learned to endure and even pray for suffering at times. And so for those of you in the room that are women, let me encourage you with this. There's two ways you can respond to today. You can respond in comparison, which you already walked in with. Oh, or you can respond by clinging to the rock. Everything's not going to be perfect after this sermon. You'll probably even fight after this sermon because of me, because of God's word, not because of me. And yet in that moment, let me encourage you to learn how to kiss the waves because they're just going to push you deeper and deeper and deeper into Christ. And for us today as a family, we get to move into communion and we in no way have to kiss the waves that come because of sin, but rather we get to kiss the waves of redemption and righteousness. And so as we go to the table today as saints, the, blood, the cup represents Christ's blood that was spilled in your place as your substitute. The bread represents Christ's body that was broken for you in your place as your substitute. And as you take that in, it begins to form and reform you. It begins to remind you of the righteous work of Jesus and allow you to walk that out, not in perfection, but in his likeness nonetheless. And so 1 Corinthians 11, as we read every week, says this. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So for those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal that's for you. The table is open.